Would you please turn with me uh, to your study guide, uh, turn to your program, to your study guide. And uh, as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at Purpose Church, Kalispell, Montana, and First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. Now, as is our new custom now, and started in January, you can get these uh, study guide books. Uh, they're called um, uh, Growth Binders, and you can get these out for five bucks out at the Connect Center. Right next to the Connect Center, there's a table there. And what we're doing now is we're getting a hold of these. You'll see that your study outlines are hole-punched. You put them in this after you filled them out and made your notes, and then there are another two pages of notes that Pastor Greg has put together that you can use for your personal study and devotions in 1 John chapter 2 this coming week. You can use it as family devotions, that's something we want to do, so tomorrow night over dinner we'll pull these out and as a family we'll go through these questions. Uh, maybe your small group, many of our small groups now at Purpose Church are sermon based, and so there are a couple of pages of study for your uh, small group to go uh, deeper into that. And so with that in mind, let's continue with our series from first, the letters of John, first, second, third John, uh, entitled In the Light. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, Pastor Eric did a great, great job uh, last Sunday introducing this series and giving us the background uh, to the letters of John and starting out our series. And by the way, uh, be in prayer for Pastor Eric. He is preaching uh, this weekend up in Santa Cruz at Mount Hermon uh, Conference Center, and he's preaching at a conference there up in Santa Cruz at Mount Hermon uh, all this uh, weekend. Uh, but what we want to do today is a little bit different. Rather than last week, Pastor Eric was in chapter one for most of the time. I, I don't want to spend very much time in chapter two, but I'm going to give you an answer to a couple of questions that come out of chapter two. We'll spend a little bit of time in chapter two, but most of our time in, is in other parts of 1 John uh, that give us the answer to a couple of very important questions, maybe the two most important questions uh, that come up in chapter two that will undergird your study. So here are the two questions that we're going to answer this morning. Does God really want us to know for sure that we are saved, that we're on our way to heaven? And if so, how can we know? So let's start with the first question. Does God even want us to know for sure that we're saved? Now, now here's why this would be a very helpful thing to God and a very helpful thing to pastors if he just kind of kept it up in the air, whether we're going to heaven or not. This is a way to keep us in line. And this is a way that religions have been used to keep people in line for, for centuries, even the religion of Christianity. For example, Islam. You never really know if you're going to heaven or not until the very last moment. And even at the last moment, uh, Allah might have a bad day and not let you into heaven. And so you live the best life you can, but you never really know. Now, I'm not making fun of Islam because I understand it. Uh, it I, I, I get it why this is a tremendous temptation. Uh, what a great tool it would be for me as a pastor if I could kind of 
browbeat you and threaten you. Well, you do what I say because if you don't, you may or may not make it to heaven. And so we can understand that the religion has used this to control people, to keep people in line uh, just for centuries. This past week, I have this uh, meeting once a year with five other pastors. There's a total of us, six pastors, and we're all across the country, and we're all bound by about the same size of church. Each church is several thousand in size. And the other thing is we all went to Wheaton College and graduated the same year uh, from Wheaton. And so there are six of us and all pastors of these kind of mega churches, big churches all across the country, one from Boston, two from Chicago, one from San Diego, one from Sacramento, and one from Pomona. And uh, somewhere in the nation, we get together once a year, and it's very intense for like three days we just pump each other. Okay, what's working in your church that we can learn in our church? What are the challenges in your church that we can learn from? How did you handle this situation? And then we pray for it. And so we share with each other, challenge each other, then pray. Uh, we talk about our families. We pray for each other's families. We, we share about the state of our marriages, how are our marriages doing, and then pray for each other's marriages. So it's a very intense three days. We also look for national trends and say, okay, what do you see? And it's amazing how similar things are the same challenges and the same national trends are the same in Boston, Chicago, and, and California. And one of the things we were talking about, and this is not just our anecdotal impressions, this is something backed up by research, is that years ago, if you were committed to Christ, if you were committed to your church, you would come to church every Sunday. You would come to worship every Sunday, um, you know, unless you were sick and unless you uh, were out of town. But nowadays, a person can be committed to Christ, committed to their church, and come every other Sunday, or come every third Sunday, or maybe once a month. And so we're, so I was thinking about this as I prepared this message. What a great tool it would be for me if I said, you know what, be here every Sunday, or you may not make it to heaven, okay? You know, that would be a, a powerful thing. You know how I'm always bugging you to sit downstairs towards the front and in the center, how much more powerful, persuasive that would be if I said, you know what, if the rapture happens, Jesus is only taking people at the front of the church, downstairs, in the center. That's, that's the only place he's, he's taking anybody. And, and how much more powerful, how much more powerful would it be if uh, Pastor Lisa stood up here before the offering? And instead of doing the typical thing we do now, if you're a visitor, don't feel pressure to give. This is just a chance for those of us that follow Jesus to give generously because we believe that generous people uh, change the world, transform um, the world. How much stronger, um, uh, uh, persuasive it would be if Pastor Lisa stood up here and said, hey, if there's not 10% online or in the offering plate, 10% of your income you may not make it to heaven. All right, man, alive. Now that, that would have traction. As a matter of fact, the, even the religion of Christianity in the Middle Ages, this is what they did. This is how they used, to, this is the method they used to get money out of people, to get church attendance up, uh, to get people to do what they wanted them to do. As a matter of fact, right before the Protestant Reformation, there was a guy named John Tetzel. And he went around, and this is literally, this is from history, literally the poem he would recite, when a coin in the coffers rings, a soul from purgatory springs. That is, you pop m money in there, Uncle Joe gets out of purgatory, all right? You drop money in there, you got shorter time in purg purgatory. And that's what Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation was all about. They said, okay, that might be useful for short-term persuasion of people, but we are not a religion. We are about a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what we're about here at Purpose Church. 
We're not about religion. We're about relationship. And praise God, it's not left up to religious people or pastors like me. Thank God it's left up to God. Anybody want to say amen to that? And, and here's what he says in, in 1 John 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, what's that word? You tell me. Know that you have eternal life. He wants us to know. Now, there are two reasons why he wants us to know. First reason is he loves us. And when you love someone, you want them to know that you love them. He loves us. And when you love someone, you want them to know that you love them. And God loves us. And because he loves us, he wants us to know and be secure in that love that he loves us. Now, he gives us a couple of pictures. And Pastor Eric talked last Sunday about there are a couple of uh, possible uh, people that could be the author of the letters of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. But as Pastor Eric shared last Sunday, the most prevalent view among scholars is that the same person that wrote the Gospel of John, that is, the early follower of of Jesus, John, uh, wrote one of the four biographies of Jesus. They're called the Gospels, but really they're just biographies. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the biographies of Jesus. And so we believe, most people believe, that the same person that wrote the letters of John is the same that wrote the biography of John. And so in the biography that John wrote about the life of Jesus, Jesus gives us a couple of pictures as to his love for us. First of all, we are his beloved children. Uh, John 14, verse 18. uh, He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you because we are his beloved children. I love what J.D. Greer writes. He says, a good father doesn't want his kids wondering whether or not he loves them or is committed to them. When I go away on a trip, I don't say to my kids, Daddy will be back soon, or maybe he won't. Maybe I'm not really your daddy after all. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe my real family lives somewhere else. You'll just have to wait and see if I come back. I might return from this trip with a gift for you, or I might not return at all. Sit around and think about that while I'm gone, and let that compel you to become better behaved children. No, no, no. That would not produce love and loyalty in my children. It might produce a little fear-based obedience, but it's only a matter of time until fear-based obedience turns into father-loathing rebellion. If I don't want my own children feeling like orphans, would God, who is the best father of all, want his kids fearing that they might be orphans? And so we're his beloved children. Another picture Jesus gives us is we are his betrothed bride. In John 14, verses 1 through 3, and and, you know, I never realized that until this week, but one possible context for this is Jesus is talking about a groom coming for his bride, Christ's followers, the, the church. And here's what he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. We are his betrothed, his betrothed bride. 
uh, Kimberly and I, um, I'm five years older than my wife Kimberly, and, and so uh, I had already finished college and, and seminary, and I was pastoring in my first church as a, as a single guy. I was pastoring a little country church in Homer, New York, south of Syracuse, about 30 miles, and uh, we fell in love the, the summer between her junior year at Boston University and her senior year. So we fell in love uh, that summer. And it was absolute torture for me for her to go back to school for her senior year. I confess to you, I was very jealous and very uneasy about this. You see, my wife Kimberly was very popular in college. I mean, you know, she, she dated everybody. She dated stars of the football team. She dated pre-med students. But then she came upon this. <laughs> Said enough of that. So, so she was going back, and there were 30,000 students at Boston University. That means 15,000 of them were guys. And she went back, and she was the type that had a lot of guy friends as well as, as girlfriends. So she called me and said, oh, I had so fun with uh, Mary and Joanne and Juanita, fine. And Bill and Joe and Thomas, not so fine. Well, that one day she calls me and said she had hung out with her previous fiancé. And I'm like, what is, what is this? And I was hanging up, and it would drive me insane. And so many a Friday, I would finish uh, work on Friday I jump in my car and drive 350 miles, five and a half hours to Boston, Massachusetts, uh, get there about midnight on Friday night, stay until 9 p.m. on Saturday, jump back in the car, drive 350 miles, five and a half hours back, get back in Homer about two or three in the morning, sleep for two or three hours, crawl out of bed, finish my sermon preparation, and preach some of the worst sermons ever preached in the history of, of the church, I'm telling you. Okay, so finally I said, this, this just can't go on. So come Christmas break, I put a ring on it is what I did, all right? <laughs> After the Christmas Eve service, I got her aside and got down on my knee, and, and I got a ring on that finger. Why? So that when she would go back for the final semester, uh, she would look at that ring and she would have a peace of mind that I loved her. Uh, she would have the strength to resist all those other guys because she had this waiting for her at the end. Uh, now, I want to give you a, a gospel secret. Here's the secret of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Assurance in the gospel has a greater power to produce virtue and love in our hearts than the threats of the law could ever do. The threats of the law, the Old Testament law, do this, don't do that, can, can coerce behavior, but it cannot captivate the heart. And God wants us to have captivated hearts. We are his beloved children. We are his betrothed bride. And that leads us to the second reason. It's a quote by J.D. Greer. He says, love for God grows only in the soil of security. Love for God grows only in the soil of security. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Would you read that out loud with me? Everybody out loud together. We love because he first loved us. Um, I know I've been using a lot of video clips, and, and forgive me, but Pastor Eric didn't use any last Sunday. So I figure I can go double, and we're still at the same average, okay? So he does zero, I do a bunch, it's the, you cut it in half, and that's how many our average is. But my, my favorite picture in literature, one of the great pictures, everybody would agree with this, one of the great pictures in literature 
in all of human history of grace, of, of what we're talking about, of the grace of God, of what Jesus, his love for us, is in Victor Hugo's classic work, Les Miserables. And his main character is named Valjean. And Valjean has been in prison for 20 years. And they, the guards have tried to beat him into submission, beat the rebelliousness out of him. And yet they fail to do so. When he gets out of prison 20 years later, he is still just as bitter and angry and rebellious as the day he went into prison 20 years before. But what 20 years of coercion and brutality could not change in Jean Valjean, one act of grace, one act of mercy changes his life. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us? God's acceptance is the power that liberates us from sin not the reward for having liberated ourselves. Let me repeat that. God's acceptance is the power that liberates us from sin, not the reward for having liberated ourselves. So if he wants us to know, here's the greatest question ever. How can we know that we are saved? If he wants us to know, how can we know? 1 John 5, verse 13, we just saw that and we bolded the second half. Now let's bold the first half. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know if, number one, you have placed your hopes for heaven entirely on Jesus. You've placed your hope for heaven entirely on Jesus. When I ask you, why are you going to heaven? You don't say, well, I hope I've been good enough, or I'm trying to be good enough, or I just hope the good stuff in my life outweighs the bad. That's not what you say to me. When I say, why are you on your way to heaven? You say, because I have trusted in Christ and Christ alone. His death for me on the cross, His resurrection, that and that alone is what I am resting on. Uh, the word believe in that passage uh, means to rest in or to rest on, to lean on, to depend on, to identify with, to identify with Christ, to have our identity in, in Christ. It's like if Bill Gates invites you to a really nice hotel, and it's one that you can't afford. And so when you go there and you register at that hotel, you don't say, I'm under the name of, and put your own name. You say, I am under the name of Bill Gates. That's what I register under when I come to this hotel that I can't afford. And the same thing is true. When you want to get into one of those rooms in heaven that Jesus just said he's preparing for us, we say, I make my reservation not in my own name, but in the name of Jesus Christ. It is in his name and his name alone that I make my reservations for heaven. Oh, we see a foreshadowing of this in the Old Testament. Uh, they would have a burnt offering, and they would offer up a sacrificial lamb. And remember John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus for the first time, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so in Leviticus 1 verse 4, you are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering. And in the original Hebrew, it literally means you are to lean on the lamb. You are to rest on the lamb. Lay your hand and lean on on the Lamb, and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. 
It's like when you came in today without even thinking about it. You sat where you're sitting uh, right, right now. And you made a decision to not depend on your legs anymore, but to trust that seat that you're sitting in. You chose to sit there. So you say, okay, where is the proof that I trusted in that seat? The proof is that you're sitting there right now. That's, that's the proof. And the same is true with Christ. Are you seated in Him right now? That's the proof that you are resting in Him, is that you are seated and dependent and leaning on Him right now. It's not about a past prayer that you prayed. It is about your present posture that you're in right now. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in salvation prayers. I'm going to lead you one in one in a couple of minutes here. A few minutes, I'm going to lead you in one. I believe in them. But so many times we get all worried and, and hung up. Okay, did I pray the right prayer? Or did I say it with the right amount of faith? Or did I say it with a, enough sincerity? And we get hung up on that prayer. And, and how many of you have prayed a salvation prayer more than once? Let me see your hands. I, I mean, I pray it every time. Every time I give one, I pray it. I'm like, hey, can't hurt. Let's make sure. One more time around, all right? But see, the power is not in the prayer that you prayed, even though I believe that's how you start your relationship with Jesus, is you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Absolutely. But it's not in the exact wording of the past prayer you prayed, but in the posture you're in right now. Are you leaning into Christ? Are you trusting in Christ? If anybody asks you, why are you going to heaven? You say, Christ and Christ alone. You are identifying with Him, and your identity is in Christ. Now, a second reason is you have a new nature with new desires. Now, that doesn't mean that you're perfect. It just means that God has given you a new direction to walk in. It just means He's given you a new heart. Now, this is very disgusting and I apologize to everybody here except for the junior high boys. If there's any junior, well, junior high programs going on right now, so I probably don't have any junior high boys in here. But I apologize to everybody except junior high boys. But this is a great picture of it. Proverbs 26, verse 11. As a re dog returns to his vomit, so fools repeat their folly. How many of you are dog lovers? How many, okay, I'm a dog lover. I love my dogs. How many of you have ever seen your dog return to its vomit? I have. It's utterly disgusting. I mean, I love my dogs, but when they, like, drink out of the toilet, that just makes me want to throw up. I, I go around the house putting toilet lids down because if I hear them lapping in the toilet, it just grosses me out. Well, if they return to their vomit. And so what, what salvation is, is you no longer have a heart for your vomit anymore. How do you like that? That should be the theme of the women's conference this year. You know, I, I think Proverbs 26, verse 11. Pastor Lisa was sitting on the front row at 8.30. I said, hey, Pastor Lisa, how's that for a, how's that for a theme? But, it, but it's true. It doesn't mean you don't get back into the vomit sometimes. It doesn't mean you don't slip in the vomit sometimes. But, but what it means is you don't have a heart for it like you, you used to. 1 John 5, verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. It doesn't say doesn't sin, because we all still sin. But it doesn't mean we don't make a practice of it. We don't have our heart in it. We don't we don't like, like pursue it with all of our heart like we used to before we met Jesus. The one, Jesus, capital O, who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. It's not like we stand in front of sin and God beats you if you touch it. Instead, he gives you a new heart. Now, sometimes the old-fashioned Baptist word was we backslide. We slip, we backslide. But here's the difference. When you have Christ in your heart, when you know that you're saved, you may backslide, but you always come back. 
You always come back. There's something in you that pulls you back. 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. Now, um, oh, in verse, the next verse, I'm sorry. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Now, I'm going to just say this because I love you. And, and I love you as your pastor. And that's why I'm going to just give you this challenge. If you say you know God and you practice sin, and I don't mean struggle with sin because we all do that, but I mean engage in sin willfully and defiantly, John says you are a liar. If you fill up your weekend with things that put Jesus on the cross, and then we walk in here and check in with God and sing a few God songs, it doesn't deceive God into thinking that your heart belongs to Him. The simple fact is you can't love God and love the things that grieve Him. You can't love God and be neutral towards the things that He hates. Okay? You can't have a mouth that sings praise to Jesus with a life that openly crucifies Him. What did you do with your friends last night? Do those things show that you love God? What are your conversations like? Uh, what's hidden in the closet of your life? What are you staring at on the internet or filling your mind with? Do those things show that you love God? Now, here's the good news. And oh, I love this verse. Another one from Proverbs, but it's not the vomit verse. Here it is. 24 verse 60. For though the righteous fall seven times, which means a lot, not just seven. Okay, God doesn't say seven times, ah, you're done. Seventy times seven. They rise again. Though the righteous fall seven times. Your salvation is not demonstrated by never falling, but by what you do when you do fall. And when you have Christ in your heart, when you're saved, when you're on your way to heaven, you, it doesn't mean you never fall. You fall all the time. I'd hate to tell you how much time, how often I fall, okay? But you get back up again you rise again looking at Jesus as you do so. And so conversion is not a sinless perfection. It's a new direction. Now you can know that right now. You can know that. As the praise band comes back up uh, for a closing song, would you pray this prayer silently as I, as I pray it out loud? Dear God, I am not depending on my own good works and effort to be right with you, to be saved, to be on my way to heaven. I am leaning on the Lamb. I am trusting in you. I am depending on Christ and Christ alone. If anybody asks me, why am I on my way to heaven? Lord, I want you to know it's because of Jesus and Jesus alone, his death and resurrection. I hereby in my heart proclaim that you are Lord, that I'm leaning and depending and trusting on you and not on myself. Thank you that I can know that you love me and that my future is secure and that on that foundation I can now live with all my heart, falling down sometimes, but rising again 
and following you and living the life that would please you and doing the things that would honor you. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, uh, there are people in our prayer room, right to my left, to your right on the main floor here. They would love to pray with you if that would be an encouragement to you. And if you would like some material that will help you in your walk with Jesus, the Connect Center, uh, where I'll be back there, we'd love to give you some material that would help you in, in your walk with Jesus. Meet us back at the Connect Center, get that information, or go to the prayer room and get prayer. I know I've gone late. Pastor Eric made me look bad last Sunday because he got done on time. And I am not. So I have fallen once again. But I will get back up again. But that's not to say I won't fall sometime in the future <laughs> again. But you know what? I want us to close with this song because it's an awesome song. So let's stand up. Let's worship together.